0: Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as $0.25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's
1: patreo ncom forward slash Bible. Thank you.
0: Hi, this is Father Mark Boulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Pilate's insecurity about the trial of Jesus is often and wrongly understood as evidence that the New Testament was written to gain Rome's faith. Favor. Some have gone further, claiming that the Gospel of John is anti Semitic. This week, Richard and I tackle these questions during our discussion of John chapter 18. And once again, when John or any biblical text is read in light of the prophetic tradition, such claims betray a deep biblical illiteracy. You're
1: listening to the Bible as literature.
0: This is Father Mark Boulos.
1: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
0: And you are listening to episode 64 of the Bible as Literature podcast.
1: Father, this week in light of Holy Week and Easter, we've been spending time talking about the Passion and the Crucifixion. And I know that we have this famous line in the Gospel of John where Pilate is trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. And he has this line, what is truth? And I know that gives us kind of trickly feelings when he says that. It sounds so philosophical. It sounds so nebulous. It sounds so off the point, considering there's a person's life at stake, to be talking about philosophy and truth and stuff when he has to decide whether to kill somebody or not. So can you tell us more about what you were thinking about this when we were reflecting on it? Well, I think it's first
0: extremely important for people to understand that In popular discussions of the Passion narratives, especially the Gospel of John, there is a widely accepted assumption that is incorrect and ignorant of the actual text of the New Testament. And this assumption is that the Gospels were written to favor the Roman Empire so that the Christians could be accepted by the Romans. Now, it's a widely accepted narrative, and it's appealing to people because it seems to fit the paradigm of history because by the fourth century after the persecutions, the Roman Empire accepted Christianity. So scholars have said, well, then the gospels worked in getting the Romans to embrace the Christians and to push the Jews aside. But in fact, the New Testament as a continuation of or as being part of the corpus of the Old Testament was written, as all scripture is written, to undermine institution and to undermine imperial power. So I really want to be clear that the New Testament, in a way, functions as a Trojan
1: horse against the Romans. It undermines institutions. And actually, we're dealing with two institutions in the gospel. We're dealing with the Roman institution, but we're also dealing with the Jewish institution or institutions. And it really is trying to do what it can to undermine all of them at the same time. So we
0: know, for example, that the Gospel of John is critical of the Jewish community, but we also know that the New Testament is not addressed, as we've said before, to the Jewish community. It's addressed to the early church, which means that the critique of the scribes and the Pharisees is not only a self-critique on the part of the writers of the New Testament, but it's a literary critique of the Christian community as institution. It's the same problem. We know that the critique against Pharaoh in the Old Testament, the critique against Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, which are major themes in the lectionary of Holy Week, especially on the Paschal Saturday before the midnight services, you hear these lengthy readings about God's confrontation with these tyrants in these great stories of the Bible. Just as God confronts these leaders, these rulers and tyrants, he confronts Caesar in the New Testament.
1: To emphasize your point, we know that it was aimed at the Jewish community. All the heroes of the story are Jews, but the critique is not against a power that existed then. So we know that there is a critique against the very institutions that the Jews were trying to work with in order to get what they wanted, but then it showed the inherent corruption of the imperial system that existed at the time. And we see this also happening in the New Testament.
0: Correct. So in John, when you hear a critique of the Jewish community, when you hear a critique of Judas, whose name Judas pertains to Judah, pertains to Jacob, pertains to Jew, all of these words are intertwined. Judas represents the betrayal of Jesus by those closest to him. This is not about Jews per se. This is about anyone who claims to follow God's teaching, who would then betray God. In the story, it's Jesus's closest relatives, his people betraying him. But in the assembly in the church, it's those gathered to pray that are betraying Jesus. Because we know that we will go through all of the gospel readings and bear witness to his trial, the unjust judgment against him. We will bear witness to his crucifixion in hearing all of these passion narratives during the services and then we will leave the church and we will act in such a way that betrays everything we bore witness to. So we are Judas. This is very important to understand. We also function as the Roman Empire, especially in our culture, our society, which is dominant and affluent. People would say that we're not an empire, we're a democracy or a commonwealth of democracies. However you want to describe it, we are a dominant controlling power that has tremendous affluence. So as Americans, when we hear also, not just the critique of the religious community, but the critique of the Roman Empire, we have to hear it as a critique of the psychology and the behavior of the dominant power on earth.
1: This is so important for understanding this passage because a lot of times, like you said, people misunderstand this as being anti-Semitic, as being anti-Jewish. And we have historical precedent that shows that during the Middle Ages, Holy Week, was a terrible time of persecution against Jews because people took this in a way that they understood that the enemy is the Jews as depicted in this story. And I think there's a line of interpretation that leads us in a horrible direction, which is why Pilate and what he says is so important. Because on the one hand, Pilate comes and says, do you want him to be crucified? Could I crucify this other person instead? Who do you want me to release? And they say, let him be crucified. And you say, see, the Jews are guilty. They said, let him be crucified. And Pilate, you know, because he wanted to avoid a riot And wanted to avoid persecuting the crowds, he just went along with the crowd and did what he had to do. Poor Pilate. He was just trying to do the best he could. But the thing is that I think people misunderstand when they make that assumption is that as a Roman, as wielding all power on earth, he had a duty. And he did not fulfill the duty. He went with the crowd. What are you talking about? The Romans are afraid of a riot, so they just go with what the people want? This is not Roman. Roman is doing what the will of Caesar is. And if the people are against it, you crush the people. They did it time and time again. Why in this time would they not do it? Because they were weak. It's a critique against the Romans for being weak. It's a critique against the Jewish people in this scene for aggressively desiring the death of Jesus. But when Pilate goes along with it and is complicit, he is using his power to keep himself in power instead of doing the right thing. He goes about then questioning what is truth in order to let himself off the hook. I don't want to steal your thunder, Father, because you have some excellent points to make about this. But he is not using the Roman power as it was given to Rome by God, which is to be just. And he refused to be just. And that's the key, the power. And this is
0: very much in line with Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians And in Romans, where he talks about everything coming from God, all authority. It's a theme in Paul's letters. Technically, Jesus confesses that Pontius Pilate has authority over him because it was given him by God. But Pontius Pilate did not exercise the authority the way he should, which he'll face judgment for. But Jesus, out of deference to his father, accepted even the false and incorrect judgment of Pontius Pilate because, in keeping with Paul's teaching, even the Christ, especially the Christ, submits because even things that are done out of malice or cowardice or that seem evil or incorrect to you, if you are under the Torah, you
1: accept them as the will of the living God, the Father of Jesus, and you submit. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them.
0: The key in this section is that Judas who represents Judea, the Judeans, is working in partnership with the occupying power. It's just like the prophets. In Micah, you have this classically, where the backdrop for the war in Jerusalem pertains to the rulers of Jerusalem appealing to the king of Babylon for safety. So when Judas goes to the Roman cohort, he is functionally representing the rulers of Jerusalem in the Book of the Twelve. And in other examples in the prophets where because they don't accept what the Psalter says again and again, that God is the one who is to be feared because he is greater than all of the other kings of the earth. What does Judas do? Having walked the earth with God's anointed king, he goes to the Romans. So this is what's happening. But instead of Jerusalem being besieged and persecuted this time, it's God's anointed, his Messiah. It's very powerful.
1: And as another point, you know, talking about the famous pogroms of the Middle Ages. I keep hitting this point because there are many people who think we should not be talking about this. We should excise this. We should not have the hymnography about the betrayal of Judas. There are people who would say this. And the point is look what's happening you have the government of whatever country it was at the time if it was russia or other countries and they in order to allow an escape valve for the tension among the poor would allow the poor christians to oppress the poor jews and say what do you want us to do try to control all of these fights well if god puts the patriarch in power or puts the pope in power or whoever yes that is precisely your job. It's precisely your job to make sure that people understand that the way to celebrate Holy Week is to remember your own shortcoming, your own desire to collaborate, your own desire to let yourself off the hook, and to put someone else on the hook on your behalf, to oppress someone else so you don't have to deal with yourself. This is the reason why this is so essential to understand during Holy Week. So when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke of those whom you have given me, I have lost, not one. Simon Peter then having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Peter goes off in the wrong direction again, and he then tries to reverse what the Romans are doing to him.
0: This undermines all of the triumphalism and all of the nationalism that plagues the Middle East today, that has plagued humanity for centuries. The solution to imperial tyranny and we've talked about this in the context of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, the solution to persecution, the solution to your sense of being victimized, whether you are a Palestinian or an Israeli, whether you are an American or a member of ISIS or whatever, the solution is not the sword. The solution is the cross. The solution is the decision of Jesus Christ that love is more powerful than the power of death. This is the heart of the gospel in the darkest hour of the Passion, when all of the questions about truth, Pontius Pilate, are laid bare. It's on the line. So Peter shows himself to be kind of a Maccabean here, that he's going to make war and he wants to celebrate war. In other gospels, when he cuts the ear off, Jesus says, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. But the cutting of the ear is a way of saying if you take up the sword you make it impossible for the good news of my defeat and my death on the cross to be shared because you become the persecutor
1: in the other gospels in this account jesus and judas kiss and there's a greeting and a peace that's shared between them and to accept the oppressor as coming from God, as a blessing from God even, as unintuitive as that sounds to our ears, this is the only way to continue to follow Torah. So the Roman cohort and the commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. I think it's interesting, the officers of the Jews, evidently there were Jewish officers among this crowd of Roman soldiers, and led him to Annas first, for he was father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire for it was cold and they were warming themselves and Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. This is really striking how Jesus wants them to see there is nothing hidden. Why are you taking me into this hidden room to talk about what I taught when everything I taught was in the synagogues and in the roads? I didn't keep anything secret.
0: And it contextualizes Pilate's comment because Pilate's betrayal is as grievous as Peter's. It contextualizes it because Jesus is saying, I spoke openly. The case is plain and what I spoke has been written down before I was born. It's all on the record. It's all laid before you. So what do you want to talk about? And so Pilate faced with this, faced with the clarity
1: of Jesus's innocence,
0: faced with this clarity, he still wants to ask this philosophical question, what is truth?
1: When he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So he's questioning the very justice under which they're functioning.
0: It's Rome and Jerusalem united in a war against God's king. It is definitely, in this sense, a fulfillment of the Psalter. When God scoffs and says, I laugh because I set my Messiah in place on Mount Zion and all of the nations are rising up against my anointed, and he laughs in the Psalter because he knows they're going to lose. This is that confrontation.
1: Exactly. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled. So this, of course, is the irony that they just committed an act of injustice that Jesus called out but they didn't want to go to the Praetorian because they would hate to be defiled.
0: It's hypocrisy.
1: This is plain hypocrisy and I want everyone to hear the hypocrisy because it's hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. People think oh the Jews are hypocrites or Peter is a hypocrite or Pilate is a hypocrite. No all of them are hypocrites the entire time. People will single out one or the other but it's all of them. Everyone is a hypocrite except Jesus who says look I taught everything I'm going to teach. Jesus is the only one.
0: He is the only Jew in the entire story who does not submit to Roman power. It's very difficult for people to wrap their minds around this. He submits to his father's instruction, which is to bow down before everyone. But in bowing down before the Romans and before his own people, he is not acknowledging their power. He is totally free from Roman occupation and totally free from the machinations of the religious institution. Jesus might be persecuted, he might be put under the judgment of the human court, but he is completely liberated because he is obedient only to the Torah.
1: The only reason why the high priest has soldiers and officers is because the Romans let him. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. They accused Jesus of being insolent to the high priest. But then when they speak to Pilate, they say, well, we wouldn't have brought him to you if there weren't a problem. Just trust us. They're telling Rome, just trust us. We know he's bad. So Pilate says, okay, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. If you know he did something bad, then judge him.
0: Pilate's a typical politician trying to weasel out of his duty.
1: The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. So they're not willing to put their money where their mouth is. So they're being just as weaselly To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this is a way of getting evidence against him, because if he does say he's king of the Jews, then he can put them against his own people and then let them fight it out. It's
0: also anti-scriptural. People don't understand this because the Bible is saying that the anointed of the Father is the Messiah and the king of all nations. So the nations are saying, no, no, he's just your king. We don't want the Torah. And the Jews are saying, no, no, he's not our king. We don't want the Torah. So in affirming that he's king of the Jews and in denying that he's king of the Jews, in both
1: cases, you're denying the Bible. And Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? trying to figure out where Pilate is coming from on this. Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me, what have you done? So he's saying, well, you know they wouldn't have brought you if you hadn't done something. So he's even going along with the insolent words that Caiaphas' people had against him. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, Uh, what is truth? I'll tell you the truth, Pilate. You have a man
0: here who has never done anything in secret, has never lifted his hand in violence against anyone, has never physically threatened you or any Roman citizen not even verbally. I mean, the content of the teaching undermines Roman tyranny, but it undermines it with love. And even when his disciple
1: struck out with violence, he told him to cut it out.
0: And you know his testimony is on the record. And you're so concerned about it, you want to wash your hands of the whole thing and let other people be responsible for this innocent man's death. But the truth is, you're a coward. And so you'd rather flounder in some kind of philosophical quest to prove that nothing really is true. And the relativists and the fundamentalists are both wrong on this question. Because the fundamentalists want to say there is a certainty in philosophical truth. And the relativists want to say that there is not certainty in philosophical truth. And scripture is saying, forget philosophy.
1: There is no philosophical truth. The
0: truth is your neighbor, period. Jesus right now is neighbor to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate sees that Jesus is going to be mistreated. His duty is to use his power to take care of him. I mean, the fact that Jesus is innocent is what gives so much weight and force in the narrative to the hypocrisy of Pilate. But even if Jesus were guilty, Pilate has a responsibility to care for him. He has a responsibility to shepherd the crowds to calm them down. No one deserves to die at the hands of a mob. And Pilate, with all his fancy Hellenistic education,
1: can't figure that out? Pilate continually acts as a coward. So why would we think that all of a sudden he hits on wisdom here in the middle and then goes back to cowardliness? He is being a coward when he asks the question, What is truth? Like you said, it's your neighbor. It's using your power as king, power that was given from God, to take care of those whom the mob would kill.
0: This passage is pure prophetic Paulism. That's my way of describing John 18. It's prophetic Paulism. You hit Jerusalem. You hit Rome. And then the final nail in the coffin is to hit the Greeks. You hit Alexander the Great and the promulgation of Hellenism and the promulgation of tyranny in late antiquity. And you say, look, not only are the Jews and the Romans betraying me, but take your philosophy and shove it. Because all your philosophy does is obscure what really counts which is your neighbor's
1: hunger, your neighbor's suffering, your neighbor's abuse, your neighbor's needs. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. So So there he admits it. And so why does the story not end there? Well, let's see. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So he's like, "Uh, you want me to let him off the hook, right? I can let him off the hook now, right? I can do what you
0: want. This is why people think that he's a nice guy, and this is
1: why they try to claim Rome
0: is being presented as the good character. But this section, the very last verses of chapter 18, are the nail in the coffin in Rome.
1: I mean, why doesn't Pilate say, I'm not going to crucify him? You said you can't crucify him. I'm not going to do it. You'll have to figure it out yourselves. The
0: guy is innocent. Whether or not he's your king or not, the point is he's innocent. I'm setting him free. That's what Pilate should have said.
1: Yeah, but instead he does this. So he tried to make a compromise. So they cried out again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, of course, even Pilate says, this is a custom that you guys have that I let someone off on the Passover. I'll do your custom. I mean, he is the Roman authority. He could say, "Uh, no, Barabbas is killed for being a robber. We have evidence. Jesus is innocent. I have no evidence. So therefore, I'm letting off Jesus and killing Barabbas. But instead, he tries to get the crowds to kind of go along with him, and they don't. He's like, darn, now I'm stuck. And so he gets stuck. But why is he stuck? He's stuck because of his own cowardliness.
0: And so I think this is really important. And I like the word you use, cowardice. This passage is all about cowardice and betrayal, but also conversely about courage. It's about the cowardice of human institutions and power structures. Jerusalem, Rome. It's about the cowardice of friends closest to you who would deny their connection to you. It's about cowardice in the face of the power of death wielded by these great empires. It's about the cowardice of the actual rulers of the empire who feign strength. It's about all this cowardice and betrayal and human frailty, masked to look like strength through its wielding of the power of death. It's about all of this confronted by the courage of Jesus Christ manifest in his weakness manifest in his submission to tyranny. And it is the heart and soul of the biblical message about how we are set free from human power structures. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you. Have a blessed holy
1: week and Pascha. Thank you, you too, Father. Anastas. You've just heard the Bible as Literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.